Welcome to the Who Do You Think You Are podcast by Endurance Leadership. Each episode, we interview ordinary but extraordinary individuals about their unique identity journeys, sharing valuable lessons and breakthrough coaching moments to inspire and help listeners get unstuck. My name is Ken Castrico. As a deep coach with over 20 years of experience and the owner of Endurance Leadership, my mission is to guide clients on a journey of self-discovery. Ultimately, my goal is to empower clients to not only understand but fully embrace their true selves, unlocking their full potential and living a more authentic and fulfilling life. Knowing who you are can change the way you see the world and others around you, and that's why we are here to help you find you. Join us as we search for the gold in people's lives. Today, my guest is Christiana Frank. Christiana is a wife, business owner, coach, a master communicator, and an actor. She owns Christiana Frank Consulting, and she is full of passion, as you'll see, and life experience. She has done extensive research on neuroplasticity and how our brains work. She has a passion for life and serving others, especially kids. Christiana uses improv and other communication tools to coach and teach her clients and groups. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to my friend, Christiana Frank. I have Christiana Frank here today, and we anytime I'm with Christiana, it is it's like it's the most interesting and fun time you'll ever have with anybody because her mind goes a million miles an hour. And she is doing some fantastic things with kids and adults and business and you name it. And so we want you to just tell us what's going on with your life and how you got to where you are right now. So what do you do right now? Okay, so what I do right now is I help people connect, communicate and collaborate authentically. And so depending on whom I'm working with, the age and I know this sounds a little gray, but there is a system in there and it's it's all based in strength-based approaches. Okay. But depending on what the age is, what outcome they're looking for, the activities or the attention to detail can change. Okay. Because we're all individuals. Right. And yeah. so you do this with kids? I do it with all ages. All ages. So from kiddos to somebody like me. I used to say nine to 99, but I don't think you're 99. <laughs> and there are people out there 100 and I'm available for right. 100 plus. Yeah. <laughs> That's where you go. So you do personal coaching, group coaching, that kind of stuff? Personal coaching, group coaching, corporate coaching. So I go into corporations and I'm a little bit more heavier and I have a, a lot of passion for education systems. So school districts, mm -hmm. but it can look like a, a myriad of things. You know, I have groups that I run that are mental health patients and we'll meet and we'll work on our, our individual tools and skill sets. I'll go into school districts and work a lot right now on social emotional learning and trauma informed strategies mm -hmm. and then strategize what that human that I'm working with feels comfortable incorporating it. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be more nonverbal body language? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be working on our tonality and even eye contact? And we're not maybe making eye contact because we're not sure what the rest of the expression is. Wow. So we're working on what can we do with the rest of our body to show that we're inviting, that we're open for conversation. That's so good. So that's what you're doing now. Mm -hmm. Let's go back a little bit. So my identity toolbox is really about, we we're trying to find out about how people perceive identity. And so going back in your past a little bit, tell us how you got from where you, you know, you're here now, where did it start? 
Well, I'm going to be so honest in this and say, you know, one, I'm really excited for this interview because I'm really an in the moment type of person. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm going to learn a lot just from sitting here right now, especially on that identity piece. It just really perked me up and I knew I had to do this. To answer your question, going back, my my first memory is that really switched what I or made a decision of what I wanted to do was my household as a youth when I was 12 was turned upside down when my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And instead of maybe the family coming together, it was unfortunate because we all kind of went in our separate directions. And then a lot of trauma happened during that time and through the death of my father. And you were... I was 13 when he died. Wow. Okay. An interesting age, the way the brain forms at that time. I've done a lot of research on neurons, neuroplasticity, and based on my own need to discover for myself, but I thought, you know, I'm not the only one. You know, I thought that later on in life. But at 13, the loss was so devastating to me, and I felt so alone that my actual human body it just changed its form. And I know I'm not just going to say slumped down, but I couldn't do eye contact. Fear became anger and I could not communicate. I felt unsafe in school. I was the kid who would go into the high school classroom and maybe tell the teacher where she could go. And then I would leave as skipping school, not feeling like I could connect with people. And so that's what kind of started everything with me really actually living that experience of feeling so isolated. Wow. After that trauma. So where did it go from there? So from there, I mean, I didn't have what I know now, right? But from there, I thought, you know, this school thing, you know, it's all about school, 13 through 16. This school thing isn't working out. Like, I'm not fitting in. I can't remember information. You know, now we learn that kids that go through trauma, their prefrontal cortex, and there's a lot of science behind it. Mm -hmm. So I can look back and go, oh, that makes sense right now. And I can help other people with that. But back then, I just thought I was dumb. Really? And yeah, I just. So your identity was you're stupid. I'm stupid. I gained, I think I was 185 pounds. I went from like 95, I, I gained almost 70 pounds. Wow. And so I thought I was dumb. I was overweight, the insecurities, not a ton of bullying, but I just didn't fit in. And, you know, I wanted the date to the prom and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I went, our, our school here, UNR, mm-hmm. I went into UNR. And I get into a class, and if you're out there, Professor Calabrese is... This University of Batterino. Yeah, I was I was there for two days. So <laughs> I walked in, this professor pulls out this book, and he's like, we're going to learn Shakespeare. I open up the book to A Midsummer's Night Dream, and it was like, no, my brain was not going to get this information. So I asked this professor if I could go to the restroom, and I left school. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But on my way out the door, it said, you can audition for a performing arts school. And I thought, well, maybe that's my thing. Because I think deep down inside myself, I had things I wanted to say. And I had different characters I wanted to be. I wanted to find out who I was. And so pretending, make-believe, practicing made sense. So my life took me into the performing arts. So I ended up in New York City going to an art school, doing some Broadway. And then to finalize that, a lot of people today will look at me and go, oh, you must love the arts and what you do is for the arts. And I like the arts a lot, but it wasn't about the performance. 
It was about the process of becoming and getting to try in real life different behaviors and kind of try things on. And accompanying that was failure. I mean, if you're auditioning in New York City and you're not the one, you have multiple failures that you have to get over. Right. And in the process, changing different characters and ideas, I was able to teach myself a whole range of emotions that I could use as a human being and a whole different way to connect with ideas and people that felt safe because it was practice in my mind. But little so, did I know, yeah. So the, what was practice? The, the audition. The audition was practice. Yeah. So you didn't see it as this is it, no, it's the end of the deal. You saw it as practice. I didn't in the beginning. In the beginning, I was just like, I am going to be a famous something. And that's what I was going for. I'm going to come famous. This is going to, you know, bring my wealth and I'm going to be on stage. But it was short, not shortly, maybe three years in when I can't remember exactly what happened. But I think I started just to identify that I was walking different. And the confidence had rising, rising. Yeah. Out of a traumatic situation, not having the confidence. What, what do you think brought you to the point where you, so was it brought you to go to New York and go through failure? What was that? What was that about? It's not going to be that deep for you. I was running away. Okay. Yeah. But mine was pretty a, simple. I said to myself, how far can I get away from where this hurts? before I fall into the ocean. And that was New York City. And then it blended with the idea of performing. Performing, mm -hmm. okay. That's really good. So we're after that, we're, what happened after that? If you, so you're in New York, obviously you, you made it into a couple of productions and all this kind of stuff. Did some Broadway shows, learned a lot. You know, I never was, you know, the best of the best. And one of the stories I tell some of my clients and my students when I talk about, it's not just what you're doing, it's how you're doing it. There is a, a famous person in my in that world called Tommy Tune. And I remember being on a Broadway stage and I'm dancing for the show Grease, where I'm auditioning. Mm -hmm. And everyone keeps getting cut during the audition, but me, and I'm not doing as well as everyone else. Mm -hmm. So flash forward to being on tour, and I had to ask. <laughs> I'm just like, I have no idea why I'm here. And all these other folks. So you made it. Yeah. And all these other folks who had much more talent than me are not. And he leaned over to me and he says, do you think I want to travel with that, those attitudes? He's oh, like, wow. you're fun. You do what you say you're going to do and you bring energy to things. I thought, gosh, that's something. And it gave me this power piece to go. I don't have to be the smartest and the most talented. It's right. the attention. It's being deliberate. That's right. And it's about people it's, connecting with people. Wow. That's so good. So, how long was that in New York? So I was in New York for 17 years, but that's schooling and, and moving around and kind of flying and back and forth because some stuff's in Los Angeles. The epiphany, and I wish I could remember the day, but I was walking down Broadway and I saw this mom just yelling at this kid, this African-American mom and son, and he's crying and I can feel it right now. I might even cry, sorry. <laughs> he's crying and she's yelling at him. She's not calling him dumb, but she's telling him that he could do better, but the way it's happening and it hit home. And I, I kept wondering, what if she had just changed her language a little bit to talk to his strengths? and not his weaknesses. And then I started going, well, what about 
my process? Where have I just looked at the, the weaknesses and not the strengths? And at the same time, I'm walking by and it's the New York City Police Department, the at-risk youth division. And I always look at those juvenile detention centers and go, hmm, that could have been my home forever and then jail. And I walked in and I said, hey, to this, just this random man at the front desk named Jack. Never forget Jack. Hello, Jack, if you're out there. <laughs> and I said, hey, this is my name. I have this idea. I know this sounds really goofy, but this is where I come from. And I'm really into improvisation and it saved my life. Really? And I want to try to do this with your kids. And it was the day and the timing. And he said, meet me next week. And we got a program going and I started wow. to learn. And that was in LA. That's in New York City on New Broadway. York City. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about improv. Cause that's a lot of very much of what you do now. Mm -hmm. Something I, I'm very interested in. I don't know anything about it. So improv. So there are rules to improv. There is a myth, a common myth of improv, because people think of whose line is it anyway, and it's sure. funny, ha ha, and you have to get up on stage and have a lot of confidence and get the joke. And it was never like that for me. It was an open space of creativity, of trial and error, of being able to really feel on a cellular level an emotion or a feeling and decide if that's something you want to be or that's something I'm going to try to avoid wow. being in my character. Wow. And so improv back then was just called improv. And a woman in the 1930s named Viola Spolin is the one that really created the movement that I didn't know about when I was doing improv in the beginning is she had started in the 1930s bringing improv into the classroom. She passed away and some people do hold on to her legacy out there, some mm -hmm. folks that, some of my colleagues. And with that, it's that part of improv, using improv or applying it for human behavior and neurological growth has just started coming back into the limelight maybe in the last 10 years. Really? Interesting. So after you were kind of enlightened with seeing this child being treated the way he was being treated, so where did it go from there? So I worked in the New York City Police Department for a little bit. Wow, okay. Then I came back to, well, that's with that little program. I wasn't a police officer. Right. And then I came back to Reno to be with my family. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a big step for me because I ran away from home 17 years prior. Right. It was a big step for me. And I came back and I thought, you know what? I am going to do this in Reno because my biggest passion when I talk to my education, like my superintendents or my school districts is if a human being feels accepted and safe and those relationships are let to grow and there is trust, you could teach anyone anything. But if you're missing wow. that piece, then a lot of kids are disassociating, especially now. I have way too many words to go with that. But people just disassociate or they, they fight against that current. And so coming back, it was all just trial and error. And I started in the Washoe County School District an after-school program called Kidscape Productions and started that in 1999. Wow, that's so great. And so a little interjection here. I've always believed when you took when you look at kids and you look at I've been a supervisor and a manager for a long, long time. And one of my famous sayings is there's just no more teachers anymore. And it's fallen on corporate America. We have to do it. Um, yeah. Simon Sinek said this. He said, you know what? Corporate America now gets to educate because we've had a whole generation or two 
they haven't been, there's no teachers. The dads aren't there. The mom and dads aren't there. They're working yep. and the kids come home. So what would you say about that? Is that true? Is that we all, yeah, it has to, it, I mean, ideally it should be a world effort. Our communication, our empathy, our connecting to other people, that should, in my opinion, and I, I like that opinion. <laughs> I think it's it's the foundation of everything. Sure. You know, whether we are talking about just if anybody is an average Joe, which I don't agree really with that statement, but if we're talking about what someone might say is a regular person, mom and dad are, you know, pulling home the school and we're all talking about our social skills and we've got, but I do believe that it is everybody's human responsibility to create an environment of welcoming or at least say, you know, this isn't available. Right. Right. That's so good. So good. So you through Kidscape Productions and everything. So that kind of catches up to, to now. What's what's happened was, in the last that was the baby, yeah. The baby, the little foundation of my creating these companies was Kidscape Productions. And so about eight or nine years ago I started working in mental health facilities. Mm-hmm and working eating disorder clinics and folks in recovery and applying this method that at the same time was getting more of a global global understanding and i found this network of people the applied improv network and i went oh i thought i was doing this by myself and then i was introduced to viola spolin's work so the funny thing about this is in 1999 i thought i made this up <laughs> and for all those applied improvisers out there who have laughed at me numerous times, I was clearly like this. And it was such a joyful moment to find out that people are doing it in all walks of life. I, Google uses applied improvisation on their hiring. So, I mean, people are finding that this sure. is a great way to meet people where they are. Like you could have a plan sort of, but if you come with that plan and you get met with, something that's important, don't stick to that plan. Let's talk about what's in front of us. That's really good, and, um, I really like that. Can you tell me about the, maybe the three biggest, or maybe two or whatever, the three biggest events that got you where you are today? And I think we probably have hit on a couple of them. Would you clarify those though? Two or three, what, what are some things that really stand out to you that got you where you are today? What three things that got me where I am today? One is definitely going to be the the passing of my father, right? Because that was riveting, and that sh let me have Were you that experience. close with your father. Mm. Okay. Yeah, and that was just riveting, and and that's where the communication within that family dissipated, and it felt like, in a personal level, I needed to find every single skill set I could to know who I was and to know where I fit in with those people because everybody wants a family. Right. So that would be one. Well, maybe not everybody, but I do. Right. And that would be one. The second one would be taking that risk just to leave and go find out things that were available to me mm -hmm. in New York, to be alone, to be a little hungry on some days, to worry about rent, mm -hmm. to be homeless to live in my car. So all of those kind of things that at the moment I thought, oh, why don't I, I look back and I'm so grateful for. Right. Because of who I've met or what it's taught me. And then the third one would be coming back to Reno and really having a, a, an immense hunger for how the body works, how the brain, how the body, what you eat goes in the vagus nerve, how to keep your brain healthy. And when they told us about neuroplasticity, I couldn't be more excited 
because I thought that this is what I had. You know, wasn't our brain supposed to stop growing at like 25? I thought, yeah, but it's not true, is no, it? No, it's not true anymore, but I think it was it was supposed to back in the day, it was you were done at 25 or 30. That's right. It's so hopeless sounding. Yes, it is. So once all of this information came out, I mean, people joke and say I should just become a neuroscientist, but I can't because I don't have enough credits. <laughs> They're saying because I'm always, I'm always on every neuroscientist webinar and trying to see how I can attach that to what we do because I like to share with people the science about right what I'm offering and how it affects right. them physically and mentally. So good. So so one of the dreams I have is I like I want to take identity and I want to do some of the same things. I want to I want to make so I want to because I believe it has almost I mean everything to do obviously with the brain and who we are, chemistry, our our chemistry, our makeup has all that to do and our makeup of what we've been through. So our emotional, everything else. So part of what we're doing here is we're trying to find, we're basically interviewing very normal, fascinating, extraordinary people. I'm normal. Like Thank yourself. You. So I'm going to talk a little bit. I'm going to talk a little about values. I'm going to ask you some questions about values. We've, so the definition of values is a person's principles or standards or behavior of behavior. I'm sorry. One's judgment of what is important in life. Okay. I like to ask this question because values tie in very much to what we believe about ourselves and who right. we are. So first question is, do you, do you know what your values are? Do you ever thought about it? I have off and on, I think through different trainings that I've done and also that I have taken mm -hmm. and then also different trainings that I've been asked to give. Okay. And so I have like that little cookie cutter idea. What does it look like? Well, it's, if I'm remembering correctly in this last training, it's like spirituality, mental health, mental health was the three that I, I learned in a, a training years ago. And so I had them written. Those up, were yours. No, that I learned. That yeah. That learned. It should be spirituality, your oh, physical okay. health and yeah. your mental health and, and how you define those. And I've gotten specific answers on those. It, it is radically important for me to have connections though. And okay. I mean, I believe the high value for you. It's, it's a high value statement. I mean, just being here with you and talking with you, it, it, it fills my soul mm -hmm. as opposed to, I don't know, navigating the world on your own. I only know what I know. I mean, I've learned so much from you in our first 20 minutes <laughs> and, you know, I look at everything like a learning idea, but sure values i definitely think encompass many different things and i also think it also changes with experience okay explain that how do you think that so at some points in my life my value system has been you know i feel like it needs to really work on my my physical being and what i mean by that is what foods am i bringing into my body mm -hmm. what liquids maybe am i bringing in and what thoughts am i bringing into my body i'm a huge believer that thoughts are things and that it can definitely change the your body's infrastructure explain that explain <laughs> I, i'm fascinated by that well i mean if we were to talk about food and let me mm -hmm. see if i can just br bring this broad idea smaller and I am not a neuroscientist, I act like one on TV, <laughs> is, and I've suffered from autoimmunes and I've suffered from what I am claiming to be thoughts that have hurt insides okay. of my body. Right, right. But at a simple level, if we're just talking about a tangible item and we bring it in and science now says, yes, this is right. But I always questioned it is I'm going to eat something and it's going to go into my belly. And then at that point, you know, the digestion happens and then it goes what my biggest focus is the brain sometimes when I need to do the whole body. 
but it goes up the vagus nerve. And so these nutrients are gone into your brain and these microorganisms deal with these. And so your brain structure can change by what you eat, by how you breathe, mm -hmm. by how you sleep. And then I also am very certain, and I think science can equally say yes to this, mm -hmm. that whether it's, you know, I'm not a worker outer on these like complex carbs and things like that. But if you're bringing in too much sugar versus maybe the nutrition your body needs, which is going to be different for everyone, mm -hmm. it will attack your organs. And I feel the same for thoughts. So, and that's coming okay. a lot more recent with science with, you know, we're calling it mindfulness. And sometimes I giggle at all the trending words, even though they're important for us to have, mm -hmm. but mindfulness to me has always been focus and awareness. Right. is what mindfulness is so i was like oh they made a name for it but is you know these thoughts that you come in and you talk to somebody who maybe is a high anxiety person or mm -hmm. somebody who has really low energy that these thoughts are digested by your body and again they're going through your sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system is there cortisol involved how much can your body take oh wait now you have kidney failure so it's only until the last i I want to say five, six years that they have been really going towards, and this isn't about being skinny and having ripped abs. This is about in your body, having it function and having your organs have the nutrients that they need. Right. But your thoughts too, because if your thoughts are creating chemical releases in your body that might not be healthy for you, those all stack up and they have to go somewhere. That's right. So that goes back to that whole idea. We talked about it a little bit before, like, you were looking at yourself and you said something negative to yourself. Mm -hmm. So if your body digests that, mm -hmm. now I know it to be super simple is you get what you say. Yeah. And so you're just taking that to a whole new leather level. Well, I needed, I need to, first, it's, I think it's, a client needed to know at one point, And as soon as I, like they said, excuse me, they said, you know, we're gonna have you do this idea with our group, uh -huh. but it seems so experiential. You know, it's, it's, it's about building relationships and we're going to be talking, where is this system-based approach? And so I needed to go and go, okay, there is proof in this pudding. There is science connected to it. And once I started peeling back those onion layers of science, I started just getting so excited about what this means because I can uh, prove, not just prove really, but I can see the process of what the bad or good thoughts do right. because there is going to be a chemical reaction so that's something it's we can crazy. follow we can track right right so i've dealt with anxiety in a Me too. major way and so i i told i get it where i didn't get it before i was in denial of my anxiety for many for a couple of years i well for a little while for a year or so i was in denial from a, a traumatic event mm, and so i've always been somebody who's really watched what they say but you know what I never did? I never watched what I thought. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is. Because because eventually it comes out. I mean, eventually. Somewhere. So it comes out somewhere. somewhere. It's got to go somewhere. That's crazy. You know, it's just recently in the last three years, I remember, you know, I was really hesitant to explain to people that I'm human. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe it was like six or seven years ago. I think I was standing up in front of like a, in front of a food bank. I'm speaking in front of 300 people in Las Vegas. And I was talking about a panic attack that I had had, but I was also 
instilling in them that I am this person that is going to help them with their social skills within their company. And I'm going to give them these usable, sustainable tools that they can practice three minutes every day to create these neural pathways. But I wanted to open up with a story and tell them that I had just had a six hour panic attack the week before. I've not had one before since. And I think I had 130 beats per minute for six or seven hours. Thought I was going to die. Wow. Figured I was having a heart attack. And then a girlfriend, I don't condone this, but my doctor gave me like this point something two five milligrams of Xanax or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at this and I go, well, if I take this, I'm going to know if these are my thoughts. And I don't know if I'm really ready to cross that bridge because I thought that I teach people to be able to overcome this. So I'm going to be an imposter standing up here. So I tell the story and then I did end up taking that helper at that time and I calmed down and had the realization that these were my thoughts. It was humbling. It was a little humiliating. Wow. I told these folks, a lot of people in that audience, and I have to tell you at the end of that speech, I think about 20 or 30 people came up and said, I wanna learn from you because you've been there. And I had this whole epiphany wow. going, I thought at first I'd be an imposter because I still work on my own stuff. My own values, I think, change every time I meet. Since we've reconnected, I mean, I've revisited some of my value systems and what I great? think is me. Wow. So this is so important, especially with identity, when because a lot of it has to do with vulnerability. Yeah. Once you're vulnerable and then then you really get to know who you are. And it's really interesting that you said that the, you didn't want to take this because you you were maybe afraid of what? What could be uncovered? Is that, was that what I'm I think at that time, I would have preferred having a heart attack than knowing that I couldn't control my thoughts. What? Because I, I teach people how to help them with their thoughts and their behaviors. Yeah. And I thought, well, if this is really who I am, I'm a fraud. But then I came to realize that all of us as humans, and this could just be perception in, in, my, in my world, but all of us as humans, if you are really getting comfortable with the uncomfortable and going there and putting, because we can all stay safe and we've all had trainings on that kind of stuff. We can stay safe, we can stay in our little yeah, box. Right. But if we're really going outside of our comfort zone to either connect more organically with ourselves, or to connect with other people, there is going to be some discomfort. For some of us, that could come across as what might be called a panic attack or high anxiety or fight or flight or whatever it's called. I, I've changed it to excitability. <laughs> That's the new word. I'm using. I'm, you change the name, you, you change the definition, you change the meaning, right? Yeah, but once you walk straight into that, I mean, that hasn't happened to me since. Wow. You know, I do. I can get kind of riled up. I, I told you I had a day like that today. Yeah where I went, I'm going to call this something, but I'm not calling it anything bad. <laughs> so good. So what I hear you saying is that you really value this body and how it reacts to food and thoughts and words and everything else. Yeah. And it, I forget the first part of your question, because definitely it is, you know, the food coming in, then you mentioned the thoughts coming in mm -hmm. too, but also being able to have that and then I'll go into the science. You know, if we're sticking in on an, this is the way I do it with most people. I just say, you know, if this is your brain and this is your neural pathway, just real quick and we're growing it, it gets that myelin sheath. And if you use it, it becomes a super highway. This is just kind of a quick briefing thing. If you don't use it, it kind of dissipates is the easiest way to say it. There's dendrites and all this other stuff involved. But if you're on that path for so long, that's your path. 
to try a new path that might be your better idea can cause some anxiety because it's unfamiliar and you're creating a new habit and your body might be messaging itself that you're in unknown territory you're you're you should be afraid so by able to start being very radically aware of these safe and healthy risks backslash opportunities versus you know going on a negative mm -hmm. pathway and creating that habit do you think that when you're covering your identity um I, I truly believe this is a part of it when you're starting to figure out who you are strengths and weaknesses how you operate yeah for instance i'm a very gregarious outgoing person i get charged too like you do with people i'm when i'm around people i get pumped up you know my wife not so much she gets drained and she has to go get filled up to come yep. back to more people and so for me though when i would when i was starting to figure out who i was and where i was strong and weak and what i could do when i would start something new mm -hmm. it was very hard yeah but every time i did that i would win almost every time and is that is that what that's all about it's it, you know what I, some people have said I'm an expert in some of these areas, but it's always makes me blush. I'm like, wait, <laughs> what? But I really believe the expert answer is this, and it's so simple. If somebody out there called in or said to us, you and Ken are going to run a mile and you can run the mile and I can't run the mile. I run half a mile. Mm -hmm. What do I need to do? What do you need to do? Yeah, what, that's a question for you. What, what would I need to do? You just need to run, honestly, what I would tell you? Yeah. You need to run, you need to run 6.65 miles. And you'd say, why? And I'd say, because if you can run 0.65 miles, you just hang on to me, you can run a mile. Ha <laughs> That wasn't what I was expecting. That's awesome. I like that. I might use that in a situation. Sorry, I didn't do what you wanted. No, <laughs> no. It's, it's, it's the same thing, though, because but you're putting, you're framing it as somebody helping, right? Yeah. Which is still a great framing. It's just a little bit different. So uh, somebody said I, they, they want to run a mile by themselves? No. So if somebody challenged us, just you and Ken have to run a mile. Okay. You can run the mile. I can't. And so with my younger patients or students, I say, am I a bad person? Oh. And they'll say, no, you're not. And so with maybe my older corporate clients, you know, I'll, I'll make it a little bit more scaffolded right. up. But I'll say, well, what do I need to do? And the answer typically is you need to practice. Oh. So, you know, if you think about your brain like your bicep, right? So the first time you do this, you're going to have a little bit of, oh, this hurts or I don't want to do the fifth repetition. But once you get it going, you're going to be able to grow it and it's going to become more comfortable okay. to do right. more. Right, right. So like, I, I'd like to consider practicing, you know, if you're looking for your value, your purpose, your identity, or you're trying to become more socially connected or know yourself, it's going to be practice. It's going to be uncomfortable because it's new, but we all know as a society, you don't go to the gym once. Like if I said to you, do we go to the gym once to get buff? Everybody already knows. No, we have to right. go to build that muscle. That's what you're doing with that new habit. This is a muscle. Okay, so this is so fascinating. So you, what you just told me was that finding your identity can really come down to practice. I, I think so. I really believe so. I think finding anything within yourself. See, identity, when you brought this to me, I was so excited to see you and reconnect, but also because I went, I think that this has been missing language mm -hmm. in a lot of it what has. I do. And you, Ken, are teaching me right now 
that in some of my trainings, I'm re-looking at them. I'm doing one next week and I'm re-looking at it. And I was going to ask your permission to use a little bit of wording. Of but I go, you know, we're so busy worrying about how we connect with each other, which is very important. Sure. It's very, very important. But has anybody stopped? And in some with the with self-awareness, we're sure. But are we really on a daily basis first trying to connect with ourselves? And I don't know yet. I have to know more about this if I've actually started that strong neural pathway of connecting with myself and and or or being more aware of who I am and how is that going to affect how I help people from here we need to talk more about this because it's you that you just hit something I think is so huge and that is is that's that practice thing and it's really having intentionality in what you're trying to do and especially when you're finding out who you are and and I don't believe that it's something you go okay today I'm going to find out my identity that's not really how that works it works because you get opportunity and yeah. you have failure and you have stuff and you're going to find out. I told you my aha moment when uh, how I figured out there's something going on here. Yeah. But it took me, I knew it was the beginning of a very long process. Practice. Let's move on to purpose. So the definition of purpose is a person's sense of resolve or determination, the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. So has purpose been a motivating or guiding factor in your life? That's why I think I always keep going back to K through 12 education mm -hmm. on the very simplest answer. I don't want, and I think a lot of people who go back into that kind of arena, I don't want another human to miss out on some a very few simple things that could change how they're behaving right now and how they feel about themselves. I mean, there's just a couple little tweaks that are so easy to have that sense of self-love, self-worth, and the ability to reach other people. So that's my biggest driving point. And then helping people makes me feel, I know it sounds all, but it's really my lifeline. When I can look at a human that needs something and I have the tool to give them, it excites me to all pieces. And it's why I get up in the morning. So like for me, I, I always say this, that what I'm addicted to, what I really want all of this to do, identity, my identity to what I like when the light comes on. Yes. I'm addicted to that. I could do that all day long. Yeah. And so, so your purpose, when you wake up in the morning, you can bring value and change. I love what you said though. It really does go back to your childhood. You, you really don't want anybody to experience what you had to experience to go through what you had to go through, right? Yeah, and then I have key points in my adult life, like things didn't go as smooth as I had right. planned. Right. You know, I made some pretty dumb ideas along yeah, the way sure. that I thought were awesome in the moment. And so some even in my adult life where I go, gosh, if I had done that a little bit different or if I had known that's how my body works or how my brain works. And the fact that I think now society is letting us talk about our feelings more and that that's very important to me because I think anybody can agree. And if not, please tell me, but I think if you feel good about something, you're all in. If it doesn't feel good, you're either going to kind of step around it and it's never going to be intentional or you're going to be afraid of it. So if we can offer to other people, even telling somebody in front of all these people, you know, I had a panic attack and I thought I was going to die. What is going on? <laughs> To put some sense of just a real human being out there, like you're doing during this, it makes, it, it just makes life feel one more comfortable and validated. You're like, oh, I feel like I've been seen and heard and validated. And then other people start understanding that it's safe. Yeah, it's safe just good. to be who you are in that moment.
Well, I truly believe that your purpose that you, which you've just talked about, is so much a part of who you are, your identity. And you've, to a certain extent, you may not realize it at times, but you, to a certain extent, you may, you, and like I said, it, it may not be realized, but it's lived. So I can, I, every time I'm around you and, you know, we have a very parallel life and we're a lot the same person, but you, you exude it. So it's really, it's really awesome to hear. Let's, let's end up on identity. And uh, I want to go back to something that you touched on earlier today. And you said something about this feeling, this thing down here. Would you, you explain that a little I'm bit gonna more? I'm going to try. So I can I use feeling words? Yes, you and can. Color, and imagery? Yeah. You know, ever since, I don't know what it is. Like, I'm still trying to figure it out. And it has scared me in my life. And it can sound real. I always feel like when I talk about it that I should be wearing black lipstick and a dark hat, writing in a journal <laughs> and listening to... So it sounds so dramatic. Or but goth. I, goth, there we go, goth. Or mod. Mod. Yeah, so, but I just, there's this feeling. And, you know, I know my heart's here and I can feel with my heart. And I, I, I feel like I have a pretty good relationship with my heart. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have a pretty good relationship with my eyes and stuff. I don't know if it's my my stomach or what, but it's like somewhere down in my solar plexus. I just feel like there's something there and it changes and I don't have a word for it. It's it's more of a feeling of I can feel it getting disrupted so it doesn't make sense. So I feel I have a lot to learn. I feel like it's getting disrupted and that is that my sixth sense? Or, and then sometimes that feeling of excitement is, is that the excitable or the, the warning to back away? So I'm still playing with that a little bit because a lot of the environments I go in, if we're called, it's a sixth sense. I go into environments where it's, it can be pretty heavy duty. So, you know, something might get thrown at you, or I've been working in jails before where things mm -hmm. are just a little bit more hardcore. And I felt it. it I, I don't know what it is, Ken. And that's one of the reasons why I'm excited to do this mm -hmm. and then have come back on again and, and grow from this moment and see what I what, you what I discover with right. this. So what is it, Ken? I don't know. <laughs> I, I would say that most definitely a, a sixth sense. Not old meatloaf. <laughs> nope. Nope. Especially if it's consistent. It's there. And I and I also feel like it might hold on to some of the childhood stuff and not sure. like in a psychosis need a no. counselor way, but uh, almost like a rudder of a of a sailboat. So now we're talking six cents. Right. When you're also talking identity. So there's something that you're identifying with within you and you haven't been able to figure it out. And so for me, I can go into a room and I can read it. it used to present itself very much the same way. And so once I got to know what it was and know what it was used for, and I'm still figuring that out, there's certain things. Now you said something that I thought was very interesting. You said it felt like light or it looked like light. That... It feels like light sometimes, or it feels dark. And you know, I'm starting to, I'm gonna, I mean, everything I do is kind of in the moment when I do <laughs> interviews, but it's like right now I'm having a little bit of an epiphany and I think what some of it might be is when I was younger, a lot of feelings and everybody was like, oh, calm down, calm down, calm down. And now as a 47 year old adult, people are bringing me into their situations going, bring in the energy, bring in the energy. So I backtrack going, wow, back then it would have been really cool to know when to tone it down. You know, there has to be some balance and, and to keep that because that's my strength, my high energy. Mm hmm. 
But I think part of it is too, is I know that right now it's time for me to really share the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm -hmm. And I've just started, and maybe that's it. Maybe this is happening right now, Ken. <laughs> but is I really feel like working with some of the clients I work with who have had some some extremely unmentionably hardships, yeah. I can't even, right. is that these stories need to be shared. To one, show to other people that, you know what, you're okay. Right. I mean, and my stories weren't as horrific as people I work with. And or to lay that groundwork of trust going, you know, we're in this together. You know, I don't sit up here with all the confidence in the world. I can be, behave like that and act like that. And sometimes I'm 100 percent confident. And then other times, you know, I still am human with that little question. Right. Did you go too far? Did you put too many marbles in the jar? That's right. But when that human, that other person comes up to you and says, wow, now I can share my story and right. I can go to sleep at night. I think that could be something. I think that's, I think that you are onto something big time. Here's the thing is that we, especially the religious world, this is kind of one of my questions I wanted to ask you. It's probably the last question I'll ask you today. I can't wait to meet again. But in the religious sense, they've kind of owned the whole identity thing. They've done a lot of identity stuff and the, the Bible and all this kind of stuff. And I just wanted to ask, did you, do you think of it that way? Do you think of it as a religious thing or how does that, how does identity play into that for you? So that's a very new question for me and my brain that I've been having. So spirituality was, I mean, my name's Christiana. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up Catholic, you know, I'm all this kind of stuff. And then I got angry at God and or religion. And then in the arts, you know, it's not about religion. And then I'm a yoga person. So namaste and all these, all these ideas, but, um, it's only in the last maybe three years that I've circled back around and stopped looking at it just being me, but something bigger. Okay. Yeah. I haven't quite crossed the T and dotted the I on all of that, but I'm immersed in it a hundred percent. It makes. So you're on a journey. Oh, I think until I told a friend last night, I said, cause I was reading a, a neuroscience book, Matthew Lieberman, great neuroscientist. Mm -hmm. I was reading his book and trying to get him to call me back or text me back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Can I send him this? Yeah. And, but I had all these questions about this curriculum I'm developing for a mental health group. And I was reading it and I had all these new aha moments. And I turned to my friend and I said, it's so funny. I feel like I'm gonna be on my deathbed and go, I figured out all the answers. Gone. Gone. Mm -hmm. And I kind of think that's how life is. I think that that's how values change. You meet new people, you get new ideas and you're going, okay, I'm going to take that in. That one's not for me yet, but I'm going to stick it in my back pocket because mm -hmm. that might make sense to me in my sixties. That's right. And maybe I'm just not ready for it or I haven't had that experience. So I don't ever reject anything unless it's really crazy or horrible. Yeah. Or doesn't feel safe. And I stick it in my back pocket and I've revisited my back pocket every few years. I'm going, oh, wow, that and we all have, right? you know, they all right. say that common thing, like your mom has been saying that for years, but the neighbor just said it and you go, great idea. Right, right. But it's kind of like that in my own head where I go, oh, that's sick. And then I pull it out and go, wow, this is usable now because I have this other information. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Yeah. A lot of times when we talk about identity and I hear this a lot with people where a lot of people do have a religious standpoint from it because of a higher power and all this kind of stuff. Right. But it really is your journey. <laughs> your journey is your journey and no one can really tell you 
you know, hey, your 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 identity is this. And somebody who tries to do that, I'm always like, you know, you know, keep keep your distance a little bit because I I maybe if you'll freak somebody out if you tell them what their identity is and they're not even have a clue. So that whole going through that journey is so important. One last question, and that is, can I interrupt you? Yeah. Part of my identity is really, and this is just coming to me now, is really being extremely aware of this moment right now and seeing where it will take me without having an agenda and without having expectations. Wow, that's probably and one of the most powerful things I've heard. That's That I think is my, my little light bulb for right now because that's, yeah, when I go into a moment, I, I leave whatever moment was behind me and I'm just right here. And it, that allows me to learn. Yeah, I would call that a superpower. I really would. That's an amazing thing. And, and it's you. It's who you are right now, not 10 yeah. minutes from now. So, yeah, I, I'm 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 blown away by when I go and I see somebody who's able to navigate um, when they're super confident and they knew who they are. They're not always super confident in themselves outside of the moment. No, yeah, but in the moment, yeah. what comes to the surface? The, and that's what you're just described, right? Yeah. That's really cool. Because I grew that neural path. That's right. Isn't that great? <laughs> now we're gonna we're gonna talk so much more about that. So how much how much does identity play a part? And and I think you've already answered this in a way, but it's a great question to end with. And is that how much does identity play a part in where you go from here out? Oh, I'm gonna be chewing on this and 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 thinking about this more. So I know my answer is gonna be better once I play with it more. But identity, when I think about it and what it would, the power it can have moving forward, I, I think if somebody looks at me, they could say, she already knows her identity. She mm. already knows what she's doing. You think it creates confidence? And that's where I was going with that. So I think the more I work on, you know, I, you gave some questions and stuff I looked over. I was just like, the more I look at this, because when you said, we might talk about this, I briefly glanced at it and I said, you know what? I'm going to do in the moment. Mm -hmm. If I overthink it, it's not going to be who I am in that moment. But I feel, yeah, confidence is one. So good. And with that, that's going to allow me to hold space, so to speak, for other people and be able to let them go or have their process or create a process for them. So, so good, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I, it's, it has been such a fun time. Thank I've been you. Some, it's fun, and I can't wait to have you back because we're going to talk more about the brain. I oh. can't wait to do that. I think this has a huge play in what we're, what we're talking about. So thank you so much. You're welcome. I appreciate you. You're amazing. Thank you, Christiana, for your time today. You're such an inspiration to me. There were so many takeaways, but the one I want to highlight is the insight that Christiana had during the interview. She talks about being extremely aware of the moment she is in and seeing where it might take her. She is learning to have awareness of who she is and operating out of that reality. This is very valuable tool to have in your, in your toolbox, your communication toolbox, your relationship toolbox, because it keeps you true to yourself and the direction you are going in your life. Thank you for listening to the Who Do You Think You Are podcast. I hope you had some kind of a breakthrough moment while you listened today. I love when people get an insight that can quite literally change the way they think and behave. If you want more of this or want to learn more about my community, go to endurancelead.com. That's endurancelead.com. Until the next time, 
This is Who Do You Think You Are podcast. My name is Ken Castro, and I want to thank you for listening. If you found this podcast inspiring, please follow the pod and leave a comment.